Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Sustainable Investing Perspectives on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus in part on the role ESG might play during the upcoming proxy season, some notable developments on the regulatory front around the globe, and more. So joining me here on the line for the conversation today, I'm glad to welcome back Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, as as well as Anthony Eames, Vice President and Director of Responsible Investment Strategy for Calvert Research and Management. So, Amantia, Anthony, it's great to be with you both today on the podcast and very much looking forward to our conversation. Great. Thanks for having Absolutely. It's great to have you both here on the podcast with us today. I know there's a lot of ground that we want to cover. I know, Amanti, as I mentioned during my intro, we do want to touch on some regulatory developments we've seen recently around the world, all of which were highlighted in the most recent Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication from the Chief Investment Office. Uh, maybe we can begin with a notable development right here in the U.S. So the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has recently taken taken a number of actions to make climate change and ESG a priority. So Amantia, as a starting point, can you walk our listeners, our clients through what these actions consisted of and how they fit into the broader picture of the Biden administration's plans? Of course. And thank you again, Dan. So that's right. I mean, we've seen uh, that multiple governments and independent agencies here in the U.S. are taking concrete steps toward incorporating climate change risk or climate change preparedness, as well as broadly ESG uh, in, in, their, um, in their approaches, in their remits. We discussed last month, actually, the, how the Federal Reserve uh, set up a few months ago its first ever supervision uh, climate committee, which was tasked with identifying climate risks uh, to the financial system. Similarly, the SEC is also embarking on its own set of climate firsts, so to speak. So um, over the month of March, we have seen multiple actions, really a flurry of announcements from the agency that will be relevant to investors moving forward. Just to name a few, uh, we saw a creation of a task force on climate and ESG that will be led by the Deputy Director of Enforcement at the SEC. And the goal of this task force is dual from what we understand. It's to firstly identify material emissions or misstatements on ESG or, or climate um, that are made by issuers of securities. And secondly is to analyze and understand um, ESG disclosure and compliance levels by investment managers or advisors that are offering ESG or sustainable investing labeled products. Another action that they've announced has been to introduce climate risk preparedness and ESG broadly in their list of 2021 enforcement priorities. This announcement came just at the end of February um, and, and it's likely then going to create the need for market participants who are offering these ESG-labeled products, uh, as well as generally uh, anything really to show that they, they are taking these considerations into account and they have sound processes in place. And finally, and also very critically, um, we saw the SEC in the middle of March open up a 90-day public comment period, inviting uh, comments from, from anyone to help inform its view on a broad swath of uh, guidance around sustainable investing related topics. So ranging from 
ESG disclosure and potential requirements from issuers to reviewing proxy voting rules for asset managers and really anything in between. So while we don't know on this final part what their guidance will ultimately B, uh, we think that overall, directionally, this is uh, positive for investors here in the U.S. Um, where uh, this might imply increased transparency and higher requirements for transparency, as well as more enforcement on um, how how investment advisors are labeling ESG and sustainable investing products. Which, if if done accurately and and um, sort of proportionally to the need in the market, it could uh, potentially increase the overall market confidence in sustainable strategies overall and also benefit the ones that are already uh, leading the charge and, and doing this correctly, correctly and credibly. Well, thank you, Amantia, for taking us through the action steps announced by the SEC. And similar to the Fed, which, as you mentioned, we covered last month during the podcast, it is encouraging to see these agencies and institutions taking a more active role and interest. So as a follow-up for Anthony in terms of market implications, of this all. So with the large flurry of actions taking place already and more actions likely to come down the pike over the course of this year, 2021, Anthony, what sort of impact do you see happening on the SI market? Thank you, Dan. And, and I think those points were really well said, Amantia. I, you know, frankly, these, the, these developments on the regulatory public policy front are welcomed and, and long overdue, frankly. Um, I, you know, we have been operating as uh, sustainable investors in a in a framework that is not compulsory when it comes to companies disclosing their performance on material environmental, social, and governance factors. Uh, you know, namely environment and, and climate related. So, um, you know, this is obviously something that the SEC is beginning to take up. Um, you know, what we have is sort of a patchwork system of companies disclosing um, the data that they want to disclose. It's a better system today. Ten years ago, fewer than 20% of companies in the S&P 500 disclosed any any material, any any sort of ESG disclosure. Today, I think more than 90% do. So we have we have more information. We have better information. Uh, but but we need a, really a consistent framework so that companies, uh, there, there's just consi- consistency across issuers, which will allow uh, us investors and managers make better investment decisions for the benefit of clients. Um, so we certainly welcome that. And I think, you know, as it relates to climate, you know, something following sort of like the TCFD, Task Force for uh, Financial Related Disclosure, um, would be would be uh, welcomed. And, and, of course, there's the materiality framework that SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, has put forward that would also be a very helpful uh, framework for issuers. Um I think, uh, you know, and this issue around sort of, uh, you know, the, the framework, I think this is a very confusing landscape for investors to sort of sift through all the various approaches that managers are doing as it relates to responsible and sustainable investing. Um, as we know, uh, nearly every manager is now claiming to, to be a responsible and sustainable investor, and, and maybe they've been doing it for some time, they just didn't tell anybody. So I think we need to work on, I think we'll talk about maybe what's happening in Europe in a moment, but a framework that better categorizes, describes, discloses how managers are, are, are building these investment strategies, I think will be very, very helpful. You know, the, the CFA Institute folks are working on this. The um, ICI, the Company Institute folks are working on this. Um, and I think that will be welcomed. And, and maybe just the last thing, Dan, I'll mention is that we, we didn't cover this. Monty didn't cover this, but I think it's another 
relevant development on the public policy front, which is the use of ESG uh, funds in ERISA-governed retirement plans. Uh, we've already seen the new administration basically say that they're not going to enforce the rules that were put forth last fall. Um, and I think, uh, again, we would welcome, and I think they're going to work on some, some better clarity around the use of ESG funds in retirement plans, which I think would be welcomed by the marketplace. Well, uh, thank you, Anthony, for sharing with our listeners, our clients, your take on the reception of these regulatory actions by the markets and investors. So maybe to your point, Anthony, we can stick with this topic, the regulatory environment, though we can shift over to what we've been seeing happening over in Europe. So Amantia, I know the EU European Union Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation was implemented back on March 10th. So can you spend a few moments, Amantia, explaining for us what these disclosure regulations mean in practice? Sure. Thanks, Dan. So the EU Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, a mouthful, but uh, the, the acronym is uh, the EU SFDR, really kicked into force on March 10, which meant that any asset manager or investment advisor um, with uh, that offers services to EU domiciled clients must now make a set of ESG-related disclosures, both at the product or strategy level as well as at the firm level. Um, and then I mean, overall, the goal of this disclosure requirement from the EU is to increase transparency on how ESG and various sustainability factors are being considered in the decision-making process. And ultimately, their aim is to help facilitate investor decision-making in, in sifting through the market options uh, to, to really choose the best, uh, the best options that meet all of their goals. Now, to get into a little bit of the specifics, um, the investment advisors will have to provide this minimum level of disclosure for all investment products that they offer, regardless of whether they have an ESG label or sustainable investing intentionality or not. However, in addition to this, they will also um, be able to and have to classify strategies uh, which have sustainability embedded in the objectives um, in one of two different types, one of two different shapes of green, quote-unquote, classifications. Um, So it will be an option to classify according to a light green type of strategy, Uh, and this will be strategies that promote environmental or social goals, but they're primary objective is not to advance these goals. So, for example, um, ESG leader index tracking strategies, for example, where they're tracking um, indices of companies that are better performing than their peers in managing ESG risks or opportunities might likely fall under this category of light green. The second category in classification is dark green, so so strategies that have a uh, sustainable investment objective as a primary objective. For example, um, some sustainable thematic funds that have specific environmental targets like decarbonization um, would likely fall under this category. Um, so there, there's a lot of details really to the SFDR, but in thinking about what this means for investors, and in particular for global investors who aren't domiciled in the EU. Um, We think that overall, this is, again, another example of uh, a positive directionality of regulators stepping in to help really investors uh, gain some clarity in, in separating those managers who are who are just recently lightly claiming to be ESG from those who are doing it um, deeply and in a way that credibly advances these objectives. 
Well, so overall, this is positive. However, and just, just to, to wrap up here, even though this is positive overall, um, there's still confusion potentially in the market as as uh, the the industry adjusts. To implementing this, this uh, re- to implementing through this regulation, uh, there will be data gaps that managers will have to deal with, and and we think that it's still important that even once this, um, in a way, shakes out, investors um, should not uh, give up and and still consider the importance of doing careful diligence and also looking for specialist advice that will still be needed in in selecting the SI strategies that specifically meet their own individual goals. Amantia, that clarity was very. Very helpful. So thank you for providing us with some background and walking us through the investor implications of the EU SFDR. So a good follow-up, Anthony, I'm curious to get your vantage point on this. Why is this such an important aspect of sustainable investing? And Anthony, how do you see this affecting the space going forward? Well, I, that's a critical question, Dan. I think so disclosure is important because it is that information that we need to make investment decisions. Um, and, and maybe to build on what I said previously, um, the system that we have right now is not a compulsory system. It is a voluntary disclosure system. Companies are doing a better job disclosing, but they're not doing a great job. And there's, there's a lot of room for improvement as it relates to the quality of the data and also the consistency of the data. Um, and, and that's really a global thing. That's not just a U.S. thing. That's, that's a global market issue. So we, we are completely in support of a, um, you know, a regulatory inspired systematic framework for companies to do a better job of disclosing the material, uh, their material performance, uh, their performance on material, environmental, social and governance factors, because only then can we make the best investment decisions um, and, and, and express those decisions in our investment portfolios. Um, I think as it relates to the EU taxonomy, really interesting development. And I know that this has been a time of sort of consternation for many managers who sell strategies in Europe because you've been, they've been forced to, um, as Amantia said, you know, categorize their strategies in this, uh, this article, um, uh, sort of framework. So article six is no ESG integration happening. Article eight is, as Amantia said, um, you know, promoting uh, ESG characteristics and, and Article 9 is, is really advancing and, and very much impact oriented. I think a couple of things with the framework is that it's entirely focused on the E at this point environment. So there really is not any, any recognition of, of S or G factors. So we would like to see, you know, that, that developed in the future. Um, and I think also the other thing that is challenging for managers is that we would prefer to see that disclosure framework, that mandatory disclosure framework that I mentioned at the outset, in advance of, um, you know, sort of this manager taxonomy. So I think very helpful for investors to be able to use this framework to better uh, get a sense of what a manager is actually doing in their sustainable strategy. Um, and But, you know, if we, if we still don't have great disclosure coming from operating companies that help us make the best investment decisions, uh, to help us identify truly those sort of solutions providers, those companies that are through their products or services tackling, mitigating the most pressing environmental challenges that we have, then it, it's going to be difficult for those managers then to then prove, which is coming next year, how their funds and strategies, you know, uh, fit in, in that taxonomy, that Article 9 or Article 8 or Article 6. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how this continues to evolve you know, over the next 12 months or so, Dan. 
Absolutely. So from a regulatory perspective, based on what we've heard, it sounds like there is a lot of constructive and needed guidelines being established or at least considered and agencies around the world are taking notice, getting involved, which is very encouraging. And to your point, Anthony, something we will continue to track very closely. So at this point, I want to pivot a bit, maybe talk about something else. So Amantia, I know with the turn of a new month, we are fast approaching proxy season where publicly listed companies hold shareholder meetings and investors get the opportunity to voice their opinions and vote on proposals brought forward by management and other shareholders. So could you explain what sort of impact investors can have on ESG issues through proxy voting? Sure. Thanks. And so um, voting at these annual general meetings is a direct way for investors to make their voices heard. And it is very much an integral part of being an active owner of securities. Um, management provides guidance for in general for each ballot item and a vote with or against management is a reflection of the level of trust that uh, investors have on that specific topic in, in management. And we should say that um, not all of proxy season and not all of the issues that come up for a vote on, uh, on on these ballots and during these meetings have to do with environmental and social issues. Many of them are G and many of them are just broader uh, issues to do with company management, director appointment, and so on. However, environmental and social issues do appear uh, and, and are a way in which investors choose to make their voices heard on these issues and, and really help push uh, companies in a specific direction. Now, that said, even though this is important, it's often um, as well seen as a measure of last resort uh, through which to affect change uh, on company operations or strategy uh, that investors have access to. In our view, while this is an option, longer-term systematic engagement, um, the type that ESG engagement-focused strategies uh, will often uh, conduct, is in particular a way for investment for investors, both you know, individual as well as institutional investors to uh, making meaningful impact in helping work with management over time to identify what's the best way that they can move and progress towards advancing specific environmental or social issues, either from a operational perspective or in changing the directionality of the company strategy and so forth. So the potential impact influences, they both sound very real and can deliver meaningful progress as you outlined for us, Amantia. So, Anthony, as someone who works in the space yourself, I'm curious, could you explain to us how proxy voting for ESG issues is valued by fund managers? Sure, I'd be happy to, Dan. And this is an area that we spend a lot of time on uh, in our work for clients at, at Calvert. Um, you know, proxy voting, to, to um, echo what Amantia said, this is, you know, a critically important part of the investment process. Voting proxies is actually the only democratic part of investing. Uh, when you own shares of companies, you own shares of mutual funds, that is your opportunity to vote in support of or against, um, you know, critical issues that relate to, to uh, how a company is managing its affairs. And increasingly, there are proposals that are filed uh, by shareholders that relate to environmental, social and governance factors. Um, and uh, ever since the early 2000s, managers have had to publicly disclose how they vote these proxies on their websites. Calvert was doing this long before that, and we're, and we're quite supportive of the idea to, for managers to start making this information public. Um, what is amazing, even as we sit here today in 2021 with the massive proliferation of sustainable investment funds in the industry, 
is that there are notable managers, some of the largest investors out there that have large ESG funds, and they typically do not vote in support of environmental, social, and governance um, shareholder resolutions, issues that relate to climate change mitigation, uh, reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, board diversity, board independence, um, gender pay equity, you know, lots and lots of issues. Um, and these, these proposals are being increasingly uh, raised at companies. I think this last year there were a few hundred ESG-oriented proposals. So in our view, it is critical that a manager has a, a methodology for voting these, these, uh, these, these proxies at, at Calvert. We have a set of principles that guides our, our work, our voting methodology. Uh, and then uh, you have to be able to stand by your record uh, and, and how many of these ESG proposals did a particular manager vote um, in, in support of. I think investors would be very surprised if they actually looked at the record of their managers, even in ESG funds, on these important issues. Um, and, and I also couldn't agree more with Amantia's point around engagement. I mean, I think this is where we have the opportunity to really push for um, greater transparency, progress on financially material ESG issues. Uh, just, just would give you a quick window into that. We've taken up uh, this issue of uh, racial inequality uh, across uh, corporate America with the challenges that we've been, um, you know, wrestling with here, particularly in the United States. And um, companies do not have to publicly disclose their what's called EEO1 uh, disclosure, which is their diversity data. Um, some companies do, typically the best performers, but most companies don't. So we've engaged with the, the top 100 companies in the U.S. this last year and so far have gotten 37 of these companies to commit to publicly disclosing their diversity data. Um, that's the kind of, I think that's the kind of progress that you're able to achieve through, through an engagement strategy and is really a critical component of an overall sustainable investing approach. Anthony Amantia, it was very nice catching up with you both on the podcast today. I very much appreciate your insights, reflections, and outlooks on a variety of timely topics in this space. So great catching up with you both, and thank you again for your time today. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Amantia. Thank you, both. Absolutely. And again, today we have been joined by Amantia Muhadini, Sustainable Investing Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as Anthony Eames, Vice President and Director of Responsible Investment Strategy for Calvert Research and Management. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office authors a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. Uh, These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including, of course, the publication that Amantia has been making reference to during the course of our conversation today. The latest Sustainable Investing Perspectives publication comes out on a monthly basis. So for clients of UBS, you can always contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more or receive a copy of the publication directly. Sustainable Investing Perspectives is part of the UBS Conversations podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 